This podcast is part of the Podbelly Network. Please visit podbelly.com to see a complete listing of all of our other shows. It's about to be a fun ride. Follow along, watch as we slide. Paranormal just hit the lights. Goosebumps all through the night. Mix in just a little bit of twain. That girl sure can't do a thing. Together, hillbillies go insane. Laugh so hard it'll hurt your brain. Podcast you won't ever change. These two here, they got the recipe. Sat on back and listen in to some of our darkest mysteries, eh? Welcome to Hillbilly Horror Stories. And now here's your host. Jerry and Tracy Polly and their dog Ninja. Hey guys, welcome to episode 196 of Hillbilly Horror Stories. I'm Jerry. And I'm Tracy. Well, we got a fun one for you tonight. Woohoo! First and foremost, we want to thank all of our military civil servants all over the world, no matter which country you represent, and also all of our nurses and doctors and CNAs. And everybody else that has to clean the rooms in these hospitals and any grocery store workers, everybody who is on the front line helping to keep things still going in our world while this COVID-19 outbreak is going on. Thanks to all of you and be safe out there. Thank you very much. We pray for you guys every day. Obviously, this is a tough time for a lot of people. It's a uh, I saw something the other day that said the suicide rate during the quarantine has almost doubled what it normally was Wow! on a, on a regular month uh, preceding this. And it just makes me so sad to know that people feel like that they've got nowhere to turn. Yeah. I want everybody listening to know that you've got somewhere to turn. If you're struggling right now, please, if you have to, Pause this podcast right now and reach out to somebody. Do it. Call us. Get in the group. Call the suicide hotline 1-800-273-8255. Text them 741-741. Call a friend. Call a family member. Post something on Facebook. Post something on Twitter, Instagram. Just do something to get somebody to contact you if you don't want to contact somebody yourself. Yeah, don't be a you know, afraid to contact people or reach out. That's what we're here for. So anyway, matter to us. Yeah. I just want people to, to realize that. And, you know, we, we, we hear from people every single week and it's heartbreaking to know that people are struggling so much, uh, not just now, whenever, mm-hmm. but I mean, it's, it is a little bit worse right now for some people. So anyways, I just want to let people an extra special thought, that we're thinking about you guys. Absolutely. We have a special birthday. We don't do a lot of birthdays on here, <laughs> but Natalie Moon had a birthday a couple of days ago. It was in between shows. It was on the 23rd. And we just wanted to say, we hope you had a very happy birthday, Natalie. Yes. Happy birthday, beautiful. So anyways, I guess on with the show. On with the show. Tonight's show, we were when we did the uh, first Facebook Live, which we did by ourselves. Sorry, Ninja. Didn't mean to interrupt your sleep. <laughs> when we did the first one, someone wrote us, and, and it could be wrong, it could have been the second one, but either way, somebody wrote us, and I'm sorry, I cannot remember for the life of me who it was, and said, 
will you do some Wyoming stories? And, you know, my first instinct is living in Wyoming is scary enough. Yeah. You probably don't want to hear about paranormal. That's what I always kid John Joslin about when he lived up in Wyoming. Oh. And, of course, our, our buddy Jeremy, he lived in Wyoming yeah. for a long time. Jeremy yeah. Collins from podcast we listened to. So we've got a couple of friends from out Wyoming way. And I started doing some research. I actually found a couple of cool stories. So we're going to end up doing, we're going to do one tonight. We'll end up doing another one uh, very soon, probably on one of the Wednesday episodes of, a, of another Wyoming story. But we're going to start this one with Wyoming Frontier Prison. Hmm. So the Wyoming Frontier Prison had its first cornerstone laid in 1889 in Rawlins, Wyoming. Due to financial difficulties, though, it did not open until 1901. When it did open, there was no running water. There was no electricity. Oh, gosh. (laughs) So it was not the greatest of circumstances. It would eventually become the Wyoming State Prison, but that was way down the road. It officially closed in 1981 when the prison was moved to a new building. 1981? 1981. The original building is now a museum. It was listed on the National Register of Historic Places in 1983. When it was built, it was designed by Walter Ware, who was an architect from Salt Lake City, Utah. So it wasn't too far. Yeah. Did they ever get water and stuff in the uh, the building? Eventually, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, but it took a while. It was built in a Romanesque style, which included the... uh, that type of stonework that you've seen on a lot of Roman buildings. That and it featured nice. like the short columns and the semicircular arch. And uh, it had a cone-shaped roof on its tower. So definitely had a Romanesque feel. Oh, that sounds awesome. It is a very pretty building. During its heyday, it housed some of Wyoming's most dangerous criminals. It had 103 cells and it was overcrowded almost from the very beginning. 13,500 people, not at one time. Oh that's my how gosh, many, I was going to say, what? That's how many people stayed there during the time. 250 people died there at the prison. Some of them were guards for different, you know, some of them died of heart attacks, some of them during riots, that type of thing. Several spent their last days in the building known as the Death House. People such as Andrew Pixley. Now, he was the last person executed there, but he was also the youngest at 22 years old. Andrew was a convicted murderer. He was convicted of killing killing two young girls in 1964. I'm going to tell you about what happened that night. Okay. On the night of August 5th, 1964, Pixley broke into a room at the Wart Motor Hotel in Jackie, Wyoming. This room happened to belong to an Illinois Circuit Judge, Robert McAuliffe. He and his family were in town on a ski vacation. On this night, though, the judge and his wife were watching a live show that was at a theater that was in another part of the hotel. When they got back to their room, Pixley was inside the room, lying on the floor. The judge assumed that he was either drunk or high on drugs. So the judge would later say on the trial that he did not smell of alcohol, so he's not really sure what the situation was. So the judge comes in, he sees Pixley, and immediately pounces on him, pinning him to the floor. The judge's wife is screaming and the police officer by the name of James Jensen, who was near the premises, hears and he rushes to the room. When Officer Jensen arrives, he's met with the judge's wife screaming, My God, this man killed my babies. 
Their oldest two daughters, Debbie, 12 years old, and 8-year-old Cindy, were dead in their beds. Both girls had been sexually assaulted. Debbie had had her head bashed in with a rock. Oh, my God. Cindy had been beaten and strangled. There were also signs of cannibalism. Ooh. They had another daughter there, six-year-old Susan. She was listed as asleep during the ordeal, uh, but it was later talked about that even though she was untouched, it's possible that she did witness some, if not all, of the crimes against her sister. Oh, man. Pixley gained entry into the room by climbing on a stack of wood and climbed over the rear wall of the hotel. He removed a screen to get into the room. So he knew what he was doing. As police were taking Pixley from the hotel, a lynch mob was forming outside. They took him to a jail that was in another town for his safety, and then he was transferred to Wyoming State Prison for security reasons. They should have cut out the metal man. And they should have just beat the crap out of him right there and then. <laughs> As for the judge's two daughters, they were buried in one casket together. The judge sued the hotel to get the money to be able to use for the youngest daughter's psychiatric treatment. Pixley initially told police that he didn't commit the crime. He even said that he couldn't have done it because his Native American heritage wouldn't have allowed him to do such a thing. Mm-hmm. I have no idea what that's all well. about. <laughs> nice try, though. He also said that he didn't remember anything. Pixley later said that he wanted to make a statement, so the police examined him using sodium pentothal, or as some people call it, true serum. True serum, yeah. He remembered drinking earlier that night. He was with another person, but he said his mind went completely blank after leaving that person. He could not remember entering the hotel or killing the two girls. He was pronounced sane after an examination by Dr. William Kerr Jr. of Wyoming State Hospital. Dr. Karen would later testify in a trial that Pixley was an incurable sociopath. He also said that it meant more to him to kill the girls while they were awake. Oh, psycho. That's the point where Judge McAuliffe got up from his seat and tried to assault Pixley. He was restrained by the bailiff. Pixley was convicted and sentenced to death. At the time, the execution date was read aloud, Pixley started laughing. The attorney that was appointed by the state filed uh, an appeal on his behalf to have it reduced to life in prison instead of the death penalty, but Pixley said that he did not want the appeal. He was executed on December 10th, 1965, in the gas chamber at the Wyoming State Prison. So let's talk about the actual execution. So the Prison resealed all of the windows in the gas chamber, okay? I Mm -hmm. guess that was pretty common before they had an execution. They normally would test this to make sure that it was working properly by going out and buying a pig and putting the pig in the chamber, turning the gas on, and making sure that the pig died. This time, though, the guards went out onto the streets and they found a stray black cat and executed that instead. That cat supposedly haunts the prison even today. That poor cat. He's just walking around minding his own damn business. (laughs) And then he's, ugh. 
Well, that wouldn't have, that wouldn't fly today. No, that would be a huge, huge problem today. No, but I this mean, that's was terrible. But this was in the mid '60s, so I guess it was things were looked at a little bit different. Why they do like a snake? <laughs> it's probably hard to just walk out and find a snake. <laughs> and a snake is no better than a cat. I know it's just terrible. <laughs> there was a report by one of the tour guides named uh, Aaron Angstrom. She said that she was given a tour and she walked out of a cell. And she was uh, into cell block A, and there was a black cat that darted right in front of her. She said it then ran out in front of another tour guide by the name of Molly. And Molly said that it went down just a bit from where she was and disappeared around a corner. Yeah, that was her second mistake, making it a black cat. Yeah, (laughs) probably so. Asking for trouble. So let's get back to Pixley. He was described as the perfect psychopath with no conscience. He was baptized right before his execution, and he had the least he had the least amount of witnesses there during his execution and the most amount of priests during his execution. He was praying, they said, all the way up to the last minute of them pulling the levers that start the execution. So here's how the gas chamber works, just in case you're curious. The warden pulled a pin out on the side. So this thing actually looked almost like the front end of a submarine or something. It's just all metal with the with the windows and the studded, um, what do you call them? The studs holding the windows in, in yeah. the place. The rivets is what I was meant to say. Then it's got a, a pin on the side mm-hmm. that you pull out. So he pulls it out. Then he drops a handle. When he drops a handle, a bag of cyanide pellets drops into um, a thing of acid that's below the chair. And the prisoner, of course, is strapped into the chair. And when that happens, that cyanide mixes with the acid and causes a deadly gas. The prisoner is usually unconscious within 10 to 15 seconds. And all of the other prisoners up to this point were dead within three minutes. He got off easy, it sounds like. Oh, no. Not Andrew Pixley. It took 44 minutes before he could be pronounced dead. 44 minutes? Nobody made it longer than three. He made it 44 minutes. And they said, it just takes longer to kill evil. Wow. When they go on ghost tours to prison at the prison today, they have candles lit in each one of the cells and a picture of the people who were in those cells at the death house. And they say all of the candles, the flames on them just kind of flicker and everything. Mm-hmm. Except in his. His is just straight up like nothing affects it. And he said it's, you know, there's there's wind and, you know, gusts and stuff everywhere. But every other cell, the candles wave and they flicker. But his is just straight up. And they said his always burns the, the brightest and the strongest of any of the candles. It's messed up. The best Pixley story is told by a gentleman by the name of Mark Setreff. Mark works there giving the tours, and like I said, they're closed during the winter months here. And they were setting up a new display for executions that had taken place there. So Mark said he had all kinds of of stories on hand, so he was working on this project. But what he didn't have was all of the dates. So he decided that he was going to go to the death house. It was late now. It was around midnight. He's going to go back to the death house. They don't have any lights on, so he grabs a flashlight. But back there, they had a bunch of the um, like stuff hanging on the wall and everything, mm-hmm. the big posters and stuff with all this information. 
So he goes back there with a flashlight. And he's looking at the displays. He said it was kind of late. He shines the light on the picture of Andrew Pixley. And Mark thought, man, you know, I've never really thought about when you look into his eyes, they're just totally black. And you could just tell there was something different about this guy. So that exact second, he hears a noise from behind him. He said it was the faint sound of crying. But not just any crying. It was the crying of two girls. Oh, man. It was coming from the gas chamber. He was scared to death. He said he started fumbling with his keys and tried to get the hell out of there as soon as possible. He said he gets back to the office and he's just thinking about, you know, what just happened. Why did he hear two girls crying? Yeah. Then he hears the church bells from the Catholic church right down the road starts ringing. Mark thought about the fact that Andrew Pixley had denounced the Catholic faith right before his execution. Then it dawned on him what day this was. It was December 10th. Oh. That's the day that Andrew Pixley was executed shortly after midnight in 1965 and that was the same time he was in there on the anniversary when it happened he's so brave (laughs) i don't think he knew it no he probably didn't conditions here at the prison obviously like we said were not ideal in the early days the prison was open in 1901 but had no plumbing or electricity no running water they did not get plumbing until 1914 well That's an awful lot of water hauling you got to do there. Oh, yeah. There also was no specific prison, different prison for women. There were over 13 women over the years that were housed there, but they had to go into the regular population with the men. They had a round steel pole that was known as the whipping pole. This is where they would bring prisoners to be beaten with rubber hoses. Why? Because rubber hoses don't leave marks. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. Phone books don't either. Oh, man. (laughs) (laughs) Most of these cells were five foot by seven, and they held two prisoners on bunk beds. Think about that. Yeah. Barely enough room for two people. You had the bunk beds, and then you had a little sink and a place to go to the bathroom. That's it. When you were in solitaire... You got bread and water. That was it three times a day. And, you know, we've talked about that before. When you give just bread and water to people, that ends up making almost like concrete in their stomach. Yeah. In the death house, the longest a prisoner was ever in there was three years and the shortest was three months. They executed people a lot quicker back in the day. Yeah, it sounds like. They had a hanging room. This is an all metal room. Ceiling, well, the way this worked, the ceiling had a place for the rope. So it had a hook. The rope went through the hook, went through your neck, and then you stood on a trap door. But, so, I wonder why it's all metal. But it was just set up that way. Oh. This isn't just any kind of gallows, though. This is a special kind of gallow that was designed by somebody living in Wyoming. It's called the Julian Gallows. So there was a Wyoming inventor. In the early 1900s, and they were looking for a more humane way to execute prisoners because most of the public and the crowds began to grow 
weary, I guess, of watching slow, painful deaths. So at around that same time, a well-known detective and gun for hire by the name of Tom Horn was convicted of murdering a 14-year-old boy, and he was sentenced to death by hanging. To spare the hangman from the guilt of actually killing somebody, and to avoid paying an executioner, James Julian was commissioned to design a new gallow. In his invention, the trap door was connected to a bucket that would fill with water, and the weight of the water would create enough pressure to release the trap door. And when you go to the um, museum today, they actually, as soon as you go in, they have a demonstration, like a little, small little setup with like little dolls, like Ken-sized dolls and Barbie-sized dolls. Would they, they show you exactly how it works. Oh, that's interesting. It is interesting. Well, the first time they tried doing this thing with uh, Tom Horn, it didn't quite work like they thought it was going to. So first of all, Tom Horn was a smartass. So they put the noose around his neck and Tom asked, what's the matter, Joe? You're not losing your nerve, are you? Because they knew they were going to be using this new system. So water started filling the bucket. And then nearly a minute later, the trap door opened and Tom Horn fell. What the crowd got, though, was anything but a humane hanging. The noose did not snap Horn's neck. His body dangled for 17 minutes before he eventually died. 17 minutes? 17 minutes. Oh. Then, <laughs> this invention was shipped to the Wyoming Frontier Prison, where it was used until 1936, when they stopped doing hangings and started using the gas chambers. 17 minutes. Wow. <laughs> you imagine sitting there, you're like, ah, I come to see a hanging. And then like 10 minutes in, you're like, I'm kind of bored now. Yeah. You can only yeah. see this guy jerk around for so long. Right. Seen one jerk around, you see them all. <laughs> all right, so let's talk a little paranormal. Brittany Tangway and Trey Espinosa were working below the death house when they started hearing some noise. Now, the death house had been locked up for two weeks, so they knew that there was nobody else in there except for them. They heard footsteps over above them and what was described as mumbling. They said they could tell it was a conversation between at least two people, but they couldn't make out what was being said. They went and checked out the facilities, only to find out that there was no one upstairs. And they were, in fact, the only two people in the facility at the time. Uh... Yeah. I mean, yeah. All right. Well, I'm, I mean, <laughs> I'm just trying to, you know, like think about that. And you just go up there and there's nothing. And they heard them like loud, loud enough that they went and investigated. Mm -hmm. They could hear them talking. And this was like within the last like five years. Oh, really? Yeah. Renee Slider works at the museum now. She had a fairly recent experience as well. She was getting some pictures off of uh, for some off some of the exhibits for her boss. Her boss had said, "Hey, we need to grab these pictures for." Her. So they were hanging on the wall. So so she was snapping some pictures with her phone to be able to send her. This was at a time when the museum was in the off season, so there was nobody else there except her. She was the only one there. She's on the phone with her boss. It was about four p.m. in the afternoon. And she said she was walking back and forth between cells. 
She was on the phone when she hears footsteps in the upstairs dining hall area. So she stopped and got real quiet. So much to the point that her boss said, what's wrong? What's going on? And she says, well, there's something going on upstairs. I can hear footsteps up in the dining area. And her boss said, well, I need you to go check it out. (laughs) (laughs) So Renee reluctantly agreed uh, to go check out the entire prison. And there was nobody there within the prison anywhere. I would never go in there by myself, ever. Renee said she's had several people over the last three years since she's worked there that tell her that they have experienced something. One lady said she saw uh, someone that she believed was an employee of the prison in costume. But when she went to Renee and talked to her, Renee said that there was no employees that fit that description and she was the only one working that day. So there were no other employees of any kind, let alone in costume. Bunch of good stuff going on there. Then you got the phantom lady. She said that the lady even told her that the person she saw pointed towards an exhibit. She didn't talk to her at all. She just pointed. So she was like she was following her Mm -hmm. lead. That's why she thought she was an employee. (laughs) Oftentimes, disembodied voices can be heard throughout the prison. It's also said that there's an angry, crazed prisoner that threatens anyone who dares to enter certain parts of the prisons roaming these areas. Hmm. There's a reflection of an apparition of a man wearing a brim hat that has been seen in the hanging room. So how about that? Yeah. And here's the last story we're going to discuss. The pie lady. She was a Rawlings woman who took a motherly role to most of these inmates, right? Uh, Shortly after, we'll say, the prison opened up. So we're early 1900s. She would bake pies and bring them to the men almost weekly. Well, that was nice. Mm Mm-hmm. One unknown prisoner was paroled. He found the pie lady and raped and killed her. He was then put back into the prison. Well, so then all the other prisoners were mad because now they ain't going to get no pie. That's exactly right. The prisoners loved the pie lady and they exacted revenge on the man by hanging him over the second floor balcony. They say that this plays in a loop in the prison, like a residual haunting. He said, if you catch it at the right time, you can actually watch this man being punished for his crimes by his fellow criminals. See, you can't do anything nice for anybody. Well, I mean, you are talking about a bunch of people in there because they've done bad stuff. Surely to goodness, there's going to be a few people in there that just don't have a conscience. Yeah, that's true. So, sad. What a jerk. He was a jerk. Tracy? We don't have anything to talk about uh, as far as the live shows. It's just, let's we're playing it by ear. I mean, we know there's no Indianapolis. We know there's no Louisville. Yeah, that's already gone. Yeah, that's what I mean. So, I mean, those two have been gone. Uh, people are already starting to ask about Chicago. That's in June. It's going to be tough because my understanding is that Illinois is on lockdown until June 1st. And it's going to be hard to, to have a show when... People are still not working. People aren't getting their money. And and we don't even know if they're going to extend that by a couple of weeks. So who knows what's going to happen? Pigeon Forge is the next one in July. We'll see. I I really don't know what's going to happen with these live shows. Now, as far as our Facebook live shows, 
those have are going, went really well. I mean, we had uh, Shelby Lenore on a couple weeks ago. We had Justin Rimmel on three weeks ago. And we had Diane and Kelly on from History Goes Bump. And next week, we've got the guys from the Graveyard Tales. Look, in order to watch this, you have to go to our Facebook page. And I'm not talking about the group. I'm talking about the actual page, uh, the fan page. That's where we post this. Um, so if you're not a member of that, you don't have to be to watch it. You just have to go to that page. But go sign up. You'll probably be notified when we go live. It might make it a little bit easier. Tracy, what do you got for us? All right. For iTunes reviews, we had a few that were really great. Thank you very much. Peterson, M.E., Amy M, Disposable Double AUB, Space RP, ZXF, MGXZ, The Faceless Beast, and Cat Pack Jack. Thank you guys for your really, really nice reviews. We really appreciate it. And in our Patreons is Bobby Joe Wolf, Brenda Walker, and Pete Tucker. Thank you guys so much for your support. We really appreciate you more than y'all know. All right, guys, that wraps it up for this week. We appreciate all your um, patronage. We love you guys, and we'll talk to you next week. Have a blessed week. Take care.